we are um, continuing. I hope you guys are enjoying this series, by the way, as much as I'm enjoying preaching it and talking about it. But we're continuing a series that we call The Good and Beautiful God. It's based on a book uh, by the same title. It's a book that I read a number of years ago. And, and uh, you know, I, I would rate this one, you know, within, within the top five uh, books of, of my lifetime anyway that have, that have influenced me. Um, but the basic premise of it is this. It, 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 it's uh, the idea that what we believe about God, in other words, what we believe about the nature and the character of God will influence absolutely every aspect of our spiritual lives. Not only that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to influence every aspect of our normal everyday lives. In other words, what we believe about who and what God is, what his true nature, what his true character are, is going to affect our relationship with him directly. It's either going to help it or it's going to hinder it. It's going to affect our relationships with other people. It's either going to help those or it's going to hinder those. And it's going to affect our ability to grow spiritually. So we've talked about a number of things thus far. And what we're learning so far is uh, the way, one of the ways that we go about this is we have to undo a lot of the stuff that, we have been, that we've come to believe over the years. And whether we've come to believe some of this stuff out of personal experiences, maybe we've come to believe some of this stuff out of, um, out, out of, what, we've, out of what we've even been taught um, at church sometimes. We have to undo these false, wrong ideas about the nature and the character of God and we have to replace them with what we know is true about God's character as revealed through Scripture and, of course, what we've been discovering as revealed through Christ himself, through what Christ has modeled for us, but also what Christ clearly has taught us as through, written, through written Scripture. So we've talked about a number of topics so far. We talked about, you know, the false narrative that we that we believe that we grow spiritually through, through the idea of trying harder or that we grow spiritually through sheer willpower and how self-defeating that, that, that idea is most of the time. And uh, what we learned is that through Christ is that we, that we really grow through an indirect process. In other words, we don't grow by trying harder or through willpower. We grow through these gifts that God has already given us um, that we call spiritual disciplines for one thing. We go through prayer. We go, grow through scripture study, uh, meditative scripture study. We actually talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. We grow through attending Sunday school. We go, grow through attending, um, uh, being a part of a community. In other words, the people that we're around are going to influence us. Um, that's an indirect means of growing spiritually. We're, we're hanging around the right people if we're constantly um, engaged in, 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 in Christian community, more than likely those folks are going to influence us the most if we're engaged with, with other folks outside of the church. I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean Beamish United Methodist. I mean the church in general. We're probably going to be influenced more so by those. So it's through these means and not through trying harder, so to speak, that, we, that, that God works through us. We open up ourselves um, through, to the Holy Spirit and His ability to, uh, to, to affect that change in us. We've talked about the fact that God is not an angry and a mad God. A lot of us have been taught this and have this misconception that God's overall character is that he's mad at us and that he's just looking, he's just looking for us to mess up and that he's out to get us. And we, we, we've undone that and we've replaced it with the fact with what Christ taught us about this good and loving, compassionate and gracious God who's slow to anger, who's abounding in mercy. And then along with kind of those same lines, we talked about God's trustworthiness last, last week that we really can put all of our faith, we really can put all of our hope and uh, trust in God, even when life seems bleak, 
even circumstances that we don't understand, even when we're facing all kinds of trials and doubts and struggles, we serve a faithful and a trustworthy God. So we're going to continue those uh, along these same lines this morning, and I want to talk to you about God's generosity. I want to talk to you about the generous nature of God, the overwhelming presence of God's love, and the overwhelming practice of Him of Him distributing His grace to us. So, so many of us fail to believe. So often we fail to believe this, or we simply forget the fact that God truly does overwhelm us with His graciousness and His generosity. Before we get into uh, too deep, too much detail, though, I want to go through the scripture real quick and uh, the scripture reference, and um, just talk about that for just a minute. And it comes out of the Gospel of John. It's the, it's the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and I want to talk a little bit about John after we read this. Actually, uh, John's a really cool guy, <clears throat> but it's two verses out of chapter one. I'm sorry, three verses. 14 through 16. John writes, The Word became flesh, talking about Jesus. The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. And we have seen God's glory. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a reason that I emphasize that. We'll get to it later. John testified concerning him. Now he's talking about John the Baptist, different John. John testified concerning Jesus, and he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Verse 16, Out of Jesus' fullness, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. That's the word of God for the people of God cool stuff about John. John. One of the main things you're, you're going to notice about, if you ever read the Gospel of John in its entirety, is that John really is in love with Jesus. He doesn't just love him. He's absolutely in love with Christ. And you can see this in the Gospel of John. You can, you can read it in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and, and the book of Revelation, all of which have the same author. The, the, absolutely in love with Christ. 100% sold out, all in for Jesus. His gratitude for what he knows about Christ is absolutely boundless. And his understanding of the abundance of God's grace and God's love is revealed through his writings time and time and time again. Two things I want you to notice specifically about these verses. The first goes back to verse 14, and that's what I was talking about a second ago. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I'm going to get into that in just a minute, but in the meantime, I want you all to kind of kind of think about that for a while over these, over these next few minutes. What does that mean? He came full, full of grace, full, full of grace and truth. What does he mean by that? Another thing I want you to see comes out of verse 16. Look how John describes God's generosity through Jesus Christ. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Some of your translations of the Bible say, say this. We have received grace upon grace. That means God gives and gives and gives and gives. 
We need to understand this thing about God's grace and about God's generosity, about God's kindness, about God's mercy. God wants to give us these things. It's not something he distributes sometimes because he feels like it. He wants to give us these things. As John points out, he has given us grace upon grace. He wants to shower us with these things. It's who he is. It's what he does. It's like we talked about last week when it came to the subject of, I think it was last week, when it came to the subject of forgiveness. You know, Christ tells us that, 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 that God not only forgives us of our sins, he wants to forgive us, to forgive us of our sins. In the same manner, he wants to distribute generosity and grace in our lives. He has no desire to withhold that from us. What an incredible revelation that is. It is to me, anyway. Because I think a lot of times we think God wants to withhold this stuff from us. It's just not true. It's a false narrative we bought into. Even when we mess up time and time and time again, and take it from the king of messing up, God still yearns to be with us, and he still yearns to overwhelm us with his generosity. He gives us grace upon grace, upon grace. I, unfortunately, and I fall into this category very often, many of us don't believe this, or at bare minimum we have difficulty remembering it, or we fail to put it into practice when it comes to our relationship with God. A lot of us believe still, still, as, 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 much, as, as much as we've heard this message, a lot of us believe that we still have to earn this stuff. We still have to earn God's love. We still have to earn God's mercy, God's compassion, God's grace, God's, God's generosity, God's favor. Through the stuff that we do, we think we have to earn it through good works. We think we have to earn it through having all the right beliefs. Here's one that's going to make your head spin. We think we have to earn it perfect moral behavior. It's not true. That may sound shocking to you, folks, but some of this, this, these beliefs that we have and that we hold on to so tightly cannot be any farther from the truth. Earning God's favor is a false narrative that a lot of us believe, a lot of us, of the, of us have been taught, but it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's not the truth that Christ himself teaches us. You know, last week I shared a story with you out of our book, and if, I don't know if y'all remember this or not, but it was a, it was a story about, a, about a, a, a young man who had contacted the author of this book, and, uh, and he was scared to death, he was petrified, said that he, wouldn't, he was afraid to start his car, he was afraid to go anywhere, um, because he was afraid that he got into, if he got into an accident, that he might sin some way while he's driving and not have time to repent, and God's going to send him straight to hell. Because of it. Y'all remember that story? Yeah, it's pretty, as unbelievable as it sounds, it is something that a lot of us still believe in our hearts and still, and still live into. I'm going to read you another story real quick that goes, that goes along with this subject of, of grace and generosity and you know, God holding back and, and uh, us having to earn God's favor that comes out of our book. I'm going to give you kind of the, the short story. It's actually, really, it's actually a really funny story, but I'm not going to read you the funny parts. Because it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of long, kind of extensive, <clears throat> but just keep that in mind and 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 under, try to put yourself into this into this position as if you were hearing this message that was being preached. He writes, "During my junior year of college, word spread to our campus about a woman who was preaching 
fire and brimstone sermons each day at a nearby university. Students were gathering by the hundreds to hear her, not because they were moved by her message, but to mock her. They called her the Little Lady Prophet, and at precisely 10.50 every weekday morning, she would stand on the park bench in the middle of the campus and start preaching, rebuking, really, for about 20 minutes. So he went, and he says, right on time, this short, plain-looking woman in an old-fashioned off-white dress uh, began her sermon, or was it a tongue-lashing? And she starts, the eyes of the Lord are upon all of you sinners. Do not think that God does not see all that you do. He brought me to this campus because he's sick of your wicked ways. He knows about all of the fornicating, all the drunkenness, all the lying, all the cheating, and he has one word for all you sinners. You're all going to be thrown into the lake of fire. The author writes, he says, I leaned up against the cold wall of the student center and I watched this surreal drama unfold. As a Christian, I believe that every single sin that she named is a sin. Contrary to the other students around me who mocked her in her message, I knew that part of what she was saying was true. The little lady prophet had a clear narrative. God is mad at you because of your sin, and your sin is going to cause you to burn forever in hell. But she never mentioned God's love. There was no reference to God's grace. Jesus' name was never uttered the entire half hour. She spoke against sin, but only in regard to the punishment it incurs and not the damage that it causes to a person's soul. In addition to an incomplete narrative, she added nothing that might help a person change other than guilt and fear, which are not effective, lasting motivation. Y'all ever heard a message like that preached before? I have. I hope to God I've never preached one. Notice what the author said here. He said that he knew that part of what she was saying was true. That sin, that sin is sin. But he also notes that she left out a tremendous part of the story, a tremendous part of the message. She left out God's love and mercy. She didn't even mention the name of Jesus. I've been to those churches before, folks. If you've got a preacher who can preach for an hour without mentioning the name of Jesus in a Christian church, you're in the wrong place. She didn't even mention the name of Christ through all this, through 30 minutes of, of rebuking these folks. No mention of grace. No mention of Christ. Now let's look back real quick at verse 14. I told you I was going to talk to you about this idea of, of Christ coming full of grace and truth. Maybe y'all maybe had a chance to mull that around for a couple minutes uh, while I've been talking to you. What does that mean? What does that look like? I've actually spoken to you guys about that before. Um, but it's just an incredibly important fact. Uh, that we can really never, never fully grasp or never let go of. Jesus is full of grace with love, mercy, kindness, compassion, generosity, all those things, and truth. Sin is sin is sin. Okay? Here's the thing. Here's the catch. To be full of grace and truth means that he doesn't favor either side. He doesn't lean one direction or the other more. Okay? It's a complete fullness. You might even want to think of it simply in terms of balance. Completely full without favoring this over this or vice versa. So too are we called to be. 
because something something happens when we when we do this when we allow this when we start to favor either grace over truth or truth over grace a lot of folks do this a lot of churches do this and it, and it, and it fails it fails and it falls short of the message of Christ here's what happens to it when we when we lean too much in the direction of truth we fall into what we call in the church the idea of legalism which is exactly what we're talking about today it's the idea that I have to have everything together all together that I have to earn God's favor that I have to that I have to uh, uh, God forbid I should sin because God's gonna, God's gonna do away with any kind of mercy and kindness that he, that he might have towards us everything has to, all of our T's have to be crossed and our eyes dotted kind of thing it's earning so when we focus too much on that, that's the direction we have a tendency to lean into. Now, the opposite of that is falling or leaning too much toward the idea of grace. And when we lean too much toward the idea of grace without the truth, what happens is we become or we have a tendency or we can develop a practice of Christian faith that is devoid of the awareness of God's holiness and is devoid of our knowledge his desire to see us grow into holiness, into Christ's likeness. John says that he's the perfect, Christ is the perfect balance, the perfect fullness. I love that. I, th I think fullness has a different meaning than balance, actually. Uh, a fullness, a completeness of both of these, not one without the other, not one more so than the other. This is what we're talking about today. This pastor, this preacher, left out an entire part of that message. She left out the love of God. She left out the grace of God. And you can't do that. Jesus was the fullness of both these. And our author points out that or, or uh, points out however um, that what this lady was selling, what she had bought into was this narrative that so many of us have also bought into. This earning narrative. Church, that ain't how God works. Not how God works. Why do we believe so much of this stuff? And I gotta tell you, I'll, I'm just as guilty as anybody. Sometimes I can I can fall into these beliefs that I, that I, that I failed God, that I that I'm not doing everything that I should, that I, that I, um, that He's mad at me, and, and and all that stuff, and that I've got to make it up. I've got to earn something. I got to go do something. I gotta I gotta act right, you know, to get back in God's good favor. I'm just as guilty as anybody else sometimes. But there's a lot of reasons that we do this. First and foremost, I think, you know, it's just, it's part of our society. It's part of our culture. It's been ingrained into us, into every fiber of our being. Earning is everything in our culture. And we learn it from a small, small age. That pertains to, the, to, that pertains to our schooling. It pertains to, uh, of course, to our job. Work hard, get paid, that type of thing. It pertains to our relationships. How many times, how many of us have ever thought we had to earn the love of our parents or that we had to earn the love of our, of, of our significant other, those type of things? We live <laughs> through the nature of earning in society. It's ingrained into us nearly from birth. So it's really easy to project that on God. It's very, very simple for us to project that same image on God. Secondly, you know, we have either misunderstood or we have uh, completely misunderstood or we have wrong interpretations of Scripture that on the surface can make us believe that the idea of earning God's love is biblical. 
unfortunately, these false narratives very often bleed into the church. They bleed into the pulpits, and they bleed into the way that we are taught to believe about God. Let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Most people would say, a lot of people would say, some would say, some would argue, think about the old, back to the Old Testament, <clears throat> that the Israelites were disobedient to God, and that God punished them for their disobedience by sending them into exile and into the wilderness. Y'all remember this story, right? That may very well be true. What we miss when we talk about that, there's one example of one instance. What we miss, and when we frame our entire belief system around that one instance, we miss all of the grace that God provided to the Israelite people. Number one, they were God's chosen people. Can anybody tell me why they were God's chosen people? Nobody in the history of the earth can tell you that because God did what he did simply for no other reason than he wanted to. They didn't do anything to earn or to become God's chosen people. God chose them as his people for no other reason than he wanted to choose them. Here's another aspect of grace. What happened to him eventually? God did exactly what he said he was going to do for him. He led them into the promised land for no other reason, for no good reason. The Bible doesn't tell us why he loved them so much, why, he was, why they were chosen. That's grace, folks. That's grace. They didn't do anything in the world to earn this. As a matter of fact, they were pretty defiant people. Here's another example. Y'all remember David, right? Y'all remember that David had a couple kids a woman who was not his wife, <clears throat> one, of those, one of those children died. Some people would argue that that was David's punishment for uh, basically being a murderer by proxy and, uh, and an adulterer. Here's the thing. If God was punishing David for that, wouldn't he be the one who was punished? I don't know. We certainly know that David suffered because of his sins, but what do we also know about him? The Bible literally calls him a man after God's own could point out one instance of David's suffering, possibly because of his sins, but we fail to recognize all of the grace and all the generosity that God poured into his life, not before David sinned and committed these atrocious acts, after David sinned and committed these atrocious acts. Now, of course, we're not endorsing these things. I'm simply pointing out a fact. Our sin does not determine God's generosity God's mercy and God's grace. David also had another son, by the way, by that same woman. Y'all might remember him. His name was Solomon. Don't misunderstand me, folks. Sin, sin, sin has consequences. Don't, don't, go about, don't go out of here today and say that I said something I didn't say. <laughs> sin has consequences. But if you don't take anything else home, take this statement today, alright? Sin does have consequences, but to say that sin has consequences is a far, far cry from saying or believing that God rejects us or that we, he withholds his grace, generosity, and mercy because of our sin. Think about your own lives. Surely we can think of some consequences we paid for our sin. Those are probably the stuff that sticks out in our mind the most because for so whatever reason, we forget all the grace that God poured into our lives. We forget about all the generosity that God poured into our lives. If I think that I've suffered the consequences of my sin, 
And I actually took the time to try to make a list. Okay, here's one side of the piece of paper. Here's the other side. Consequences of sin that I can remember. I'm going I'm to assure you, this side of the paper is going to be a heck of a lot shorter than this side of the paper. Because God has poured grace and generosity into my life a whole heck of a lot more than the punishment and the consequences that I've deserved over my lifetime of sin. I think your story would be very similar. The entire narrative of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, points to a God who's rich in grace, rich in, in, in generosity, and this richness and fullness is fulfilled in the person of Christ. The one that we keep coming back to is our reference point. The one that we keep coming back to to unlearn these false narratives and to replace them with what Christ himself has shown us. I know I'm running short on time, church. I know, I know. <clears throat> but I don't want to leave this part out because this is, this is if, you, if you don't believe me, take the, if you don't believe anything I've said yet, surely you'll believe Jesus, right? I want to read to you a parable out of, out of the Gospel of Matthew that speaks directly to this, okay? And uh, it's, it's, sorry, but it is a little bit long, so just, just bear with me. And I'll, uh, <clears throat> again, kind of like, like earlier when I said put yourself in this story, put yourself in this story. And uh, it's, it's, it's not one of these, this, this is not one of these uh, really, really difficult to understand narratives it's, or parables. I know some of them can be really weird and out there and tricky, but this is, this is not one of them. This, this one's pretty straightforward. But Jesus dress, addresses this idea of God pouring out his grace to us. Not because we earn it. Because we do anything to earn his favor or his love or his mercy or his grace or his generosity. But simply because he wants to. He explains that like, like so much other stuff that he explains through this parable. It's Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. All right, y'all with me so far? He agreed to pay them a denarius, which is basically a day's wage, for the day and sent them to the vineyard. Okay? About 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said, hey, you also go work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. Then again, about noon and about 3 in the afternoon, he did the exact same thing. Then about 5 o'clock in, in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you go work in my vineyard. So when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers together and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired. Those that were hired at 5 o'clock. This is so cool. <laughs> beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first, the workers who were hired at 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, a day's wage. So those who came first that morning came, and they expected to receive more. So each of them got the same thing, a denarius, a day's wage. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But the landowner answered him, and he said this, he said, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same I gave you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Can you see the message behind that? The land
landowner lavished his grace on those who had not put in a full day's work for no other reason than he simply wanted to. Jesus says this is how it is with God. Did the people, did the workers who came at 9, noon, 3, 5, did they receive a full day's wage because they put the same amount of work in as those who were there first thing in the morning? Did they receive it because by cultural standards they earned it? No. It was freely given. Church, God lavishes the same generosity on us day after day after day after day simply because he wants to. Does this seem fair? Here's another thing we struggle with a lot of us. Some of us have a major, major problem with the generosity of God especially as it applies to other people. All of us want grace. All of us want mercy. All of us want generosity when it comes to us. I told you this several weeks ago. When we mess up, we want God's grace and forgiveness like that. We see somebody else mess up. A lot of times it's a different story. We don't want to see grace. We want to see vengeance, retaliation. We're all in the same boat. Sometimes this brings about jealousy. You know, do we not really believe that others receive the same love of God, the same mercy, the same salvation that we receive just because they don't match up to our standards? Just because they sin differently than I do? Same boat, church. God doesn't deal. Let me tell you this. this is, there's, there's another sentence you can take home with you today. God does not deal in earthly earning and earthly merit when it comes to dishing out his love. God deals in unearned grace and generosity. Here it is. So what do we have to do about that? What does God want from us? We don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to earn God's favor. We don't have to earn God's generosity. What do we, what do we have to do about that? Well, here's what I believe. I believe Jesus gave us the answer to that question when he said something that I've been repeating to you guys over and over and over again for the last 14 months. I believe he wants us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and he wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I believe that's our first priority. In response to God's love, the author of the Gospel of John writes this in 1 John chapter 4, 10 and 11 sums this up beautifully. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, so we also must love one another. Kevin, y'all can feel free to make your way up here, my brother. We love because God extended his love to us first. We didn't go out there looking for it. It was already there. In response, we shower the world with grace because we recognize the unearned grace and the generosity that he bestows on us each and every day. The author of our book puts it like this. He said, God loves us first, and we see that clearly in God's Son offering his life in order to reconcile us to God. That love propels us to love God and others in return. 
God first loved us and will never stop loving us. The primary thing, here it is, the primary thing that God wants from us, and this is so true, and I wish I'd spent more time talking about this. The primary thing God wants from us is not improved moral behavior. That will come, and it will come. But to love God because he first loved us. I couldn't agree more with that statement. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the unearned grace and the unearned generosity that we, that we receive from you every day, God. We don't, we don't, we don't even know. We don't, we don't even have the knowledge. We have no idea about what you do for us. I believe if we did, God, it would, it would overwhelm us and it would put us on our knees. So we thank you with what minimal knowledge we do have. We thank you, God, that we're not punished all the time for our sins. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are rich in grace and you are rich in mercy and you are rich in compassion and rich in forgiveness. Help us to understand that. Help us to believe those facts about you. Help us to rest in your arms. And in return, God, help us more to love you and to love our neighbor. That we might glorify you and that we might show your kingdom here on earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.